have your Bibles open there at Psalm 34. And you might also like to take out your service sheet. There's a uh, sermon outlined there today if you're someone that likes to take notes to help you focus on God's Word or to remember parts of God's Word today. Feel free to use that. Was that me? Sorry, I won't tuck my shirt in. Okay, let's pray as we seek to understand God's Word this morning. Our Father, we do give you thanks for this day, Australia Day. Uh, We thank you for the reminder that you are God of all the nations and that you have brought us here uh, to this nation and the many blessings that we experience. And we pray that you help us to lift up our praise to you today. We also do know that it is a sad day for many and we want to acknowledge their feelings of hurt And we pray, Father, that as we this morning gather around your word, that we might find true reconciliation in the Christ of all the nations. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We have seen some incredible changes uh, taking place across our Australian landscape over the last few months with the bushfires, haven't we? Uh, This is a photo taken from Kangaroo Island uh, in South Australia, a before and after uh, the bushfires. Uh, Here is a photo of the wharf at Malakuta in northeastern Victoria, and I'll talk a little bit about that later in our time together. Doesn't that look just absolutely frightening, that red fireball coming uh, your way? And even here in the, the Sydney Basin, although we haven't had bushfires on our doorstep the same way as other parts of our country, we too have been affected and have seen a changing landscape across our city uh, as well. I've often said that there is one thing that is constant in life, and that is change. The one thing that is constant in life is that scenes change. On one hand, our own lives can be marked by times of great joy and happiness. It might be the birth of a a new child or grandchild, and welcome to to Lulu Mumbi here uh, this morning might be getting a new job or or getting married. I went to another wedding last night and it was a great time of celebration. Might be just enjoying a holiday at Yumina Beach uh, as well. There are scenes of life that are just exciting to be a part of. But on the other hand, life can be marked by times of great sadness and distress. It might be a bushfire. It might be the loss of a, a loved one. It might be the loss of a job or a a broken relationship or crippling sickness. And there are many in our community, even in our local church, who are dealing with these things on a regular basis. The scenes of life continually change. But the great thing about the Bible and God's Word is that it teaches us how we should live in the changing scenes of life. And King David in Psalm 34 teaches us one way or really two ways we can live during the changing scenes uh, of life. You probably didn't notice it as Psalm 34 was read, but it it actually is an acrostic poem. Who knows what an acrostic poem is? Put up your hand, tell us. What's an acrostic poem, Isabel? Yes, every sentence or every verse begins with a consecutive letter of the alphabet. Now, you probably look at it and you go, that doesn't begin with A, B, C, D, because it was written in Hebrew initially, so it's a Hebrew acrostic poem. There is one letter missing, we're not sure why, whether it's a stylistic thing or not, but it generally is an acrostic poem. 
And as the prelude to the poem indicates, you can see it in the fine print before verse 1, this psalm was written by King David when he pretended to be insane in the presence of King Abimelech, who drove him out and he departed. You can read that story and David kind of pretending to be insane and dribbling all over his beard and it was a weird story. You can read it in 1 Samuel chapter 21. David had gone to the Philistine city of Gath to escape the rage of King Saul. But no sooner had he arrived in Gath that he heard the rumblings of the people saying, don't you remember this guy? He killed Goliath and Gath was the hometown uh, of Goliath. And David feared hearing these rumblings that he'd stepped out of the frying pan and into the fire and didn't know what to do and so pretended to be insane uh, to get out of a tricky situation. Now, later, I believe David realised that that was a wrong thing for a man of God to do, to live deceptively, and that will come up in Psalm 34. And I think Psalm 34 is David's counter way of life. When life is going good, yes, it's easy to praise God and follow him. But when life is not so good, it's easy to step into even ungodly ways of living to get out of a difficult situation. And Psalm 34 is David's counter uh, to that. So what does David want us to do when life is good and when life is not so good? The first thing he wants us to do is to praise the Lord, for he is good, no matter what our circumstances are. He is good. Have a look at verse 1 to 3 again. I will praise the Lord, not just when life is good. I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim Yahweh's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. David wants to praise the Lord for his goodness and he invites us to do exactly the same thing, to join with him in praising God at all times, the good times, the bad times, and even the very sad times. But how is that possible? We'll keep reading verse 4. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him from all his troubles. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the man who takes refuge in him. When David was distressed, his first response was to take matters into his own hands. He didn't trust God, he trusted in himself. But later he came to realise that despite his sin, God was still gracious to him. And God did rescue him, not because of his cleverness, but because God was just merciful uh, to him. And so he's reminded to taste and see that the Lord is good, even when we get it wrong sometimes. God is still good. Now, how do you taste and how do you see that God is good? We may get the see thing, but how do you taste that God is good? Well, you think about tasting, you think about seeing, what are they? They are two experiential senses, aren't they, that God has given us. And so what I think David is inviting us to do when he says, taste and see that the Lord is good, he's saying to us, notice, experience, in your experience, how has God been at work for your good? Part of our weekly staff meetings as a ministry team is devoted to this 
tasting and seeing. Because in the busyness of life, and you can probably empathise with, with this, in the busyness of life, we can so often be blind to what God is doing around us. But we don't want to miss what God is doing. So we set aside some time in our ministry team meetings every week to taste and see. Where can we see God at work over the last week? Either in us, in people at our church, in our local community, even in our world. And to return thanks to God for his hand of grace at work. Taste and see. Let me encourage you to reflect this day, Australia Day. Where have you seen the hand of God at work in your life, in our world, over the last little while? Don't be blind to it. And even if in our immediate experience we're struggling to taste and see anything good uh, around us, of course, as followers of the Lord Jesus, there is one great experience that we can always look back on with great joy. The day our God opened our eyes to see who Jesus is, our great King of David, King of kings and Lord of lords who lived the life we couldn't, who died for us on the cross and rose again to offer us new and eternal life. We can always look back and give thanks to God for that experience. When I was in Zambia, there was a phrase that often pastors and congregation members uh, would kind of call and response, and maybe you have heard it before as well. It starts with the pastor saying, God is good, and the people reply, all the time, and the pastor then replies, God is good. So let's try that. God is good. God is good. And we know that even more as followers of the Lord Jesus. Romans 8.28 We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Now I mentioned the bushfires in northeast Victoria in a little town called Malakuta uh, before. Here is Jeffrey's story about that event. Not a, a good scene of life to go through, I imagine. A really distressing one. And I love reading his story. You can read it yourself in the Eternity magazine uh, today as well. Jeffrey is a long-time follower of Jesus and a resident at Malakuta. And on New Year's Eve, he took shelter from a 60-foot-high fireball along with thousands of others on the wharf at Malakuta. And he said this, We could hear the roar. It sounded like a thousand freight trains coming at us. Then a huge gust, like someone had opened the door of a furnace, pushed against us. It went black as black. The smoke was so thick, it was almost impossible to breathe. And at that point, Jeffrey and what he called a couple of prayer warriors from the town, all they could do was pray. This is what he said. I prayed, Lord, if you don't push this fire back now with a wind from the east, we are all dead. As soon as I said that, it started blowing from the east just a little bit. And so I got louder in my prayers and the wind got stronger. Then I got louder again and the wind got stronger again. I felt it change. I noticed that the bolder I got, the stronger the wind got. I was yelling at the end, in Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for rescuing these souls. Push it back, Lord. Rescue us. It was desperation personified, I know, but I didn't care who heard me. I knew then that God was doing what I was asking because if he didn't answer at that moment, we were all dead. What God did 
was pushed the fire back with a strong wind from the east, which was not predicted and was impossible, but he did it. He did that for five minutes, which broke the fire front, enough to stop it getting to the wharf at Malatiba. Isn't this incredible? Later in the article, Jeffrey talks about the result of that miracle, as he calls it, amongst his neighbour, a man named Chris. He says, Chris and I have been talking about little things to do with Jesus for the past few years, but now we're talking about Jesus a lot. Jeffrey has in fact spent the whole new year explaining what it means to be a follower of Jesus to his friend Chris. God is good all the time. God is good. Now, of course, not everybody's story during the bushfire season has been the same as that. We know that for sure. Nor will we understand how God is always at work in every situation for good. Uh, the promise is that God does work in all things for our good, even if we can't see it. So hold on to that promise, whatever season of life you are in at the moment. Praise the Lord, for he is good. The second thing David wants us to do in the changing scenes of life is to fear the Lord and do good. Praise the Lord for he is good, but you fear the Lord and continue to do good. Have a look at verse 9 to 14. You who are his holy ones, fear Yahweh, for those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will lack any good thing. Come, children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who delights in life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. We are to fear the Lord, says David, which means to trust the Lord and to live his way, turning from evil and doing good. And it's interesting that David specifically mentions keeping your lips or your tongue from deceitful speech, which is exactly what David did as the context for Psalm 34, pretending to be insane, to get out of a tricky situation. And I think we're meant to see that David is lamenting that experience in his life, that he's learned from his mistake. And he's saying that God didn't look favourably on that decision that he had made. But God did save him, not because of his deceit or cleverness, but because God is just gracious and merciful. And David's choice of words like keep and seek and pursue indicate that he wants all people to live this way, to trust God and to live his way in all seasons of life, when things are good and when things are not so good. And if verse 11 to 14 describe the behaviour of fearing the Lord, living his way, doing good, then verses 15 to 18 give us a reason for it, the basis for fearing the Lord. Have a look at verse 15 to 18. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil, to erase all memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. Why are we to fear the Lord and do good? Because it's the basis of a close relationship with him. His ears are turned to those who trust in him and not in themselves, verse 15. He is near the brokenhearted, 
He saves those crushed in spirit. It's very reminiscent of Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? To be in a close relationship with God, it means being completely dependent on Him, trusting in Him and living for Him. David initially, we know, didn't trust in God. He turned to clever human ways to get out of a tricky situation. He should have done what Psalm 34 says. He should have cried out to God for help and not tried to get himself out of the situation. David eventually does cry out to the Lord and he realises that God is good. Jesus himself would echo this same principle of fearing the Lord means coming to God empty-handed and committing to living for him. I don't know if you remember the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector who go up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee prays, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like all these other people. And then the tax collector, he just cries out, God, have mercy on me. And which does Jesus say was righteous before God? The one who cried out for mercy. Exactly as Psalm 34. If you want an intimate, close relationship with God, you have to come to him empty-handed and cry out mercy fearing him and if verses 15 to 18 describe that basis for fearing the lord the end of the psalm describe its benefits what are they verse 19 many adversaries come to the one who is righteous but the lord delivers him from them all he protects all his bones not one of them is broken evil brings death to the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be punished the lord redeems the life of his servants and all who take refuge in him will not be punished. There is a blessing in being humble before the Lord that God will rescue and redeem all those who fear him. Now, I'm sure Isabel this morning might be reading and not one of his groans will be broken. She's thinking, well, that promise didn't really work for me. (laughs) And there are many of us that still face afflictions. How does these verses in Psalm 34 apply? It seems like a promise that nothing bad is going to ever happen in life. But it's not actually saying that, is it, as you look closer at it. The psalm is not saying that God's people will never experience bad things in life. The promise of these verses is that in those bad things, God will be with you and will ultimately deliver you uh, from them. The death and resurrection of Jesus is a wonderful illustration of this point. Actually, verse 20, Isabel, is not talking about your wrist at all. It's actually talking about Jesus. For John, in his gospel, quotes verse 20 about Jesus when he's dying on the cross. It says, not one of his bones will be broken. Now, in the context of Psalm 34, you might be forgiven for thinking that means nothing bad is going to happen to Jesus. But did Jesus, yes, his bones weren't broken. But did he still taste death? Absolutely. But did God redeem and rescue him? Yes, he did. He tasted death, but God did not allow him to be overwhelmed by death. Remember these words from Hebrews chapter 5. During his earthly earthly life, Jesus offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears, Psalm 34, to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard. How was Jesus heard? He still died. He was heard because of his reverence. Though he was God's son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. How was he heard? Because God raised him from death. Jesus did what Psalm 34 encourages us to do, to cry out for help when we need it. And although this didn't mean that Jesus wouldn't face death, 
it did mean he wouldn't be overwhelmed by it. We will still suffer. We will all still die. But we don't need to be overwhelmed by that. The promise of Psalm 34 is still true and even more true because of the resurrection of Jesus. That there is life beyond the grave. So in the changing scenes of life, praise the Lord for he is good. And fear the Lord and commit to doing good. David had to learn this the hard way. Let me share you another story of an example of a lady who did it the right way. Her name is Billy Wilcox. She and her husband, Frank, were living in Pakistan uh, for many years when, after a few years, they had a newborn baby. And then their six-month-old baby sadly died. They were struck hard by immense grief. But through it all, they continued to have a firm trust in God and his love. And asked about this, Billy said this, A tragedy like this is similar to being plunged into boiling water. If you are an egg, your affliction will make you hard-boiled and unresponsive. However, if you are a potato, you will emerge resilient and adaptable. No prayers could ever undo the experience of the boiling water. So my prayer, and it may sound funny to you, but I don't think it sounded funny to God, was this. O Lord, in this boiling water, let me be a potato and not an egg. Make me resilient and adaptable and so to help others. Now that's a prayer of someone who feared the Lord in all the seasons of life. Let me encourage you, I'm sure there'll be seasons of disappointment that come your way in 2020. But let that be your prayer. God, let me be a potato. We've seen, as I said at the beginning, many changing scenes throughout our land over these past few months. And there'll be many still to come in the year and the years ahead. But to help you through those changing scenes, put into practice Psalm 34. Praise the Lord for he is good. And fear the Lord and keep doing good. In the chaos and craziness at home, come your way. Taste and see that the Lord is good. When trouble comes at work or at home or even in our church in the year and years ahead, fear the Lord, trust him. We don't need to move to deceitful, ungodly ways to get things done. Trust him and keep doing good. And through it all, God is with us and we have the ultimate hope of the resurrection of the dead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your eyes are upon us. Your ears are open to us. And you will ultimately deliver us. Not because of any cleverness within us, but because of your grace and mercy in Jesus. So Father, help us from this day to continue to taste, to see, to fear, and to take refuge in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well friends, we're about to transition into a time where we share in the Lord's Supper as we remember the incredible goodness of God displayed in the death and resurrection 